platforms, I love cooking almost as much as I love reading. Almost. And in my opinion, a well-written cookbook can be as much fun to read as literary fiction. L.A. Sun, Well Fed, and Back to Basics are three very different cookbooks that are all a great read for very different reasons. Hello and welcome to The Best Book Ever, the podcast where we get to know interesting people by asking them about their favorite book. I'm your host, Julie Strauss, and joining me today are the three hosts of my new favorite show, The Three Kitchens Podcast. Sarah Samasundaram, Erin Walker, and Heather Dyer are longtime friends and passionate home cooks. On their weekly podcast, they take listeners along for a deep dive into one recipe. They talk and laugh through the challenges, successes, and failures along the way as they tackle recipes from around the world with locally found ingredients, right in their own home kitchens. Sarah, Erin, and Heather joined me today for a cookbook palooza. Each of them shared their personal favorite cookbooks and what they've learned from them. And listeners, I guarantee you're going to be starving by the end of this episode. Good morning, Three Kitchens ladies. Welcome to the Best Book Ever podcast. Hi, Good morning. Julie. Hi, Julie. This is so fun. I just was, before we went on, on recording, I was asking if we can have a weekly coffee date because I already am in love with all three of these ladies. So I'm so excited. <laughs> and we feel this. the same way. <laughs> <Yay>. <laughs> yes. So let's start by telling my listeners about your podcast podcast, which I had the tremendous honor of guesting on this week, and I'm so excited for you to listen to that. Um, For my listeners who haven't heard of what you do, will you tell them about the Three Kitchens podcast? So uh, what we do is we we cook (laughs) and we review recipes, and uh, we do this on a weekly basis. Our episodes come out on Tuesday, and it comes out on every pod cast form you can think of. But it all started with uh, three moms whose kids were in preschool. And we started hanging out a lot together and um, feeling a little lost in the game of parenting, I suppose, you know, feeling a little beige and, and uh, COVID happened, the pandemic happened, and we all got isolated. And what happened was we started on a very regular basis, um, zooming and that's so funny. That's become a verb now zooming (laughs) and, uh, and, and cooking together or prepping our dinners together. Yeah. And then this very seamless conversation would happen with what are you making? What's that? Like what, what, what's that in your kitchen? Oh, that sounds amazing. And then the podcast was born. Yeah. Uh, the idea was born and, and, and it be- came into fruition. But, so you, you know, actually has- would have it set up in your kitchen <clears throat> and you would be saying, talking about whatever was going on that day and then go, what are you making? I'm making tacos. Mm-hmm. What's that? What'd you just add? It was that kind of thing? Were you- it yes. was that kind of thing. Yeah. That's how we kind of yeah. started out. We're like, it's the new version of like, you know, the mom on the phone with the big long cord that stretched all the right. way through the kitchen and, <laughs> and you'd be on the phone and you'd be cooking and chatting with, with your friend and with the other parents. And yeah, it was the 2020 version of that. 
<laughs> and, totally. and it was a lot of me saying, you guys, what do I do? What do I do with this? What do I do with that? And, and a lot of Sarah saying, well, now I'm disappointed by my dinner because I don't want what you're making. Yes. <laughs> exactly. I was never, never, I never, all of a sudden that craving of what I was cooking yeah. went out the window because I wanted what they were cooking. <laughs> So we would write each other's ideas down and then we would then get back to each other and go, okay, how did you make that again? And then we would make that for our family. And yeah. And so that became very much what we do actually at Three Kitchens Podcast. And we've been doing this for a little over a year, but how it has evolved more than just now three of us cooking each other's recipes or talking about recipes is that we have had the um, privilege of meeting communities that are outside of our kitchens, um, you know, the farming communities, the, the, uh, the little businesses. Um, I like to think that if we threw a little three kitchens party tomorrow, we would have some pretty awesome guests at the party because we've met some really nice people yeah. through this experience. And it has made us discover mm -hmm. that we always had a, a good revelry with food, but it has made us discover that, that there is a whole community around a meal that comes to our kitchen. Um, that it's just, it's, it's so much more and it's so much more fun mm -hmm. and, and it's so much more outside of the city. It's not even local. Sometimes, sometimes it's international. And all these aspects and what people are doing in the food community are coming back right onto our plate. So like, does that mean you're getting to know farmers and producers and, and things like that through your podcast? Uh, absolutely. And we've had dinners with them. And, you know, sometimes it's not just over the podcast. Sometimes we just want to take off and get away from the family. And, you know, last summer we bought a, a ticket to quite an amazing dinner event out in the rural area and we sat down with a whole bunch of producers and um, had a great con great night with them. Mm. I think a little too good. You know what I mean? But um, No, no. I don't know what you mean. What are you talking about, Sarah? <laughs> There's never too good. No, well, there were wine. Let's just there say was a lot of wine. There were wine producers and there and yeah. Yes. We sat with um some honey producers, honey farmers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh and God. lamb lamb producers. And, That's right. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, we met some really interesting people and it sort of sparked in us this idea that we can take this show beyond ourselves and yeah. get to know the community and maybe help support and raise up those small uh, producers and businesses and the corner store where you go for your, um, I was shopping for something for an African recipe and I found this little Afro-Caribbean market and, you know, you just kind of things that maybe you'd drive by and not stop in until mm -hmm. you decide you're going to try some thing out of your regular <laughs> repertoire right like right. oh I, I picked an African recipe now what you know so yeah it's kind of we're we're trying to expand it a little bit and and get out into the community now that it, that you said African recipes that was something I really want to ask you about is you guys are all over the place so is that how you cook normally are you intentionally trying to learn or push yourselves or what's what's your goal for how you're choosing the recipes that you try I think, I think in some ways we have, we have travel envy. 
we all wish we could be in different places and we've all traveled different places. We've been lucky enough and we've brought back a lot of that food to each other too. You know, ooh, we were here. We had this great dish. We want to experience this. We want to share this with our friends. And I think we want to push ourselves out of our comfort zone. And the easy way Mm -hmm. to do that in many ways is to just go to a different culture, go to a different continent, right? Yeah, I find the best conversations Mm -hmm. come out of something that's new. You know, the first part of our episode, we we record before we cook. Yeah. So we talk about, okay, I'm going to try this thing. And here's what I found. Sometimes some research goes into it and there's a lot of questions. <laughs> I, in particular, I always have lots of, what do, what do you guys think I should do with this? Um, and then, and then the second half is after we've cooked it and eaten it. And lots of times none of us has ever tried the thing before, right. um, much less cooked it. So um, it makes for a better conversation when there's questioning and exploring the, this new thing that we've never oh. tried before. Tell me what you were like as cooks before you started this, well, Zoom cooking together and then turning it into a podcast. And now, um, are you better cooks? Are you more experimental? Like, how has your cooking life changed? I think because I, that's what I enjoy the most of it is the thing that I'd always wanted to do, but it was too intimidating mm-hmm. or it looks too technically difficult or, you know, some things you can't even pronounce, much less know what to do with, you know, like yeah. some French pastry, something or other that's yeah. like, yeah. it can be really intimidating. But this is a platform where um, I think each of us feel like we can take this on. It's okay to fail. It's okay to laugh at ourselves. Um, we have the phone of friend it option. Out, it's okay. <laughs> yeah, the phone yeah. of friend option. That's it. Yeah. There's, a, there's a lot of behind the scenes texting with with oh my god what do I do now I'm the type a cook I guess okay I I've got the meal plan I've got the grocery list that corresponds with it I've got my recipes typed out in a binder that are my go-to's that I refer to all the time um and this has made me learn to do more flying by the seat of my pants I've taken a I've taken a note from from Heather, especially, (laughs) but there's some nights where I will take out the meat that I know I'm going to cook with, and I will refuse to think about what I'm cooking until the time comes, and then I think, okay, what am I going to do? And it, it makes me, you know, I explore with more flavors. There's been so many fun recipes that we've learned from each other that... You kind of yeah. just, what do I feel like right now? And it makes you, you know, more in the moment cooking rather than planning it out. So it's definitely changed my ability to to kind of freestyle it. it way more. It. <laughs> and it's fun now. It doesn't scare me like it used to. Mm-hmm. Whereas beforehand, like if I didn't know what I was cooking and had it pre like come four o'clock or five o'clock, I would be, you know, huddled up I've, in a corner. I've brought you over to the... <laughs> chaotic dark side the dark side which is my life (laughs) you've taught me to go with the flow (laughs) my whole sort of past with cooking was learning it through the internet or learning it actually in the beginning through uh food network Uh 
Remember that? Remember TV? Uh, Because I never got taught cooking from my family. That wasn't something that got passed down. And at one point, my mom went back to Singapore for a job. So it was my dad and me here. And, you know, not a lot of cooking was taking place. So when that started, um, when I stuck to a recipe, I kind of stuck to a recipe like this is Chinese food. This is Indian food. This is Italian food. And what has happened is that is all sort of melded into one now for me with cooking and this podcast, because you can take a technique from something that Aaron did um, for some recipe from, and, and you can apply it to something that, that you make on a daily basis and make it an up it mm-hmm. or the word that we like to claim zhuzh it up. Nice. Right. Um, And that that has changed. People are very intimidated by doing that with recipes, though, don't you think? Like, and it's yes, that's Mm -hmm. what makes people dislike cooking is because we get very hampered by the recipe says this Mm -hmm. box, right? You you get stuck in the box, and the the funny thing is, it is very intimidating to come out of that box. But Mm -hmm. when you start seeing other people do something. And when you, you, you just have to try it and not worry about failure, because in the end, we are home cooks and our customers are our husbands and kids. And if they don't like it, they're not eating. (laughs) The best kind of customers ever. Right. So I think when it comes to home cooking, don't worry about it. Now, when I talked to you last week, I heard a little snippet of conversation that y'all know I'm going to come after you for and hear about this. But evidently, (laughs) after one of your recipes, one of you texted someone else the text, WTF did I just eat? (laughs) I really want the story behind this text. And I told you, When you when y'all said it in our last conversation, I said, oh, we're coming back to that. So yeah, (laughs) I want to hear. That was me. Um, And Aaron had made, I'm going to keep this brief. (laughs) It was what I made. (laughs) Aaron made um, a persimmon jam. She was on a mission to find out what does a persimmon taste like? It's not something that grows here. It's not something we're super familiar with, but we see it in the grocery store when it Mm -hmm. comes out, when it's persimmon season, I guess, somewhere uh, in the States or wherever. And um, we're like, oh, what is this persimmon? And so Aaron was sort of on a mission to find out what it tasted like. And none of us knew. And so we really wanted to know. And her second attempt at trying to get to the persimmon flavor was a jam. And she, (laughs) she knew because she had tried it before she delivered it to us. So she knew she was just waiting, I think for the reaction. Right. (laughs) So it comes to me and I get this jar and I took just a little scoop of it and I put it in my mouth and I'm not kidding. It felt like fur (laughs) first, like, like grew like fur just grew in my mouth like it was the weirdest never mind the flavor it was like this weird texture and I couldn't stop laughing it was just like this I was like blah what what the so I texted her WTF did I just eat like what happened (laughs) this is like no jam I've ever eaten it was so weird so we discovered that persimmons the type that I I cooked with have to be extremely ripe squishy like yeah water yeah. bag 
<laughs> yeah. Oh, she knows. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Julie knows about this. So I apparently I Julie, did not, you should have talked to you. Yeah. I did not let it ripen long enough. And apparently it it be it is astringent. Astringent. Yeah, that's the word I always associate with them. Yeah. So now we know exactly what that means because we have had the mouthfeel. <laughs> and astringent is like sucking on a velvet cloth. It is it's it was so weird. It was it the was... weirdest thing I've ever <laughs> experienced. That's okay. You gotta have the fail now and then because it it yeah. keeps you humble That's and right. also makes for fun conversation. So. Oh yeah. Tell me your favorites and least favorites of the of the things that you have cooked for the podcast. We did an episode called Date Night where mm-hmm. uh, I did tacos with a peri-peri chicken and actually a recipe of salsa verde out of Roy Choi's cookbook and a caipirinha mm. as a cocktail. And it was a beautiful night. It was really hot outside and it was the perfect drink and the perfect food. And I feel like that's like a huge happy memory for me. And the next day I invited friends over for the same thing. I think Heather came over, Erin couldn't. Yeah. But, yeah, you did. And I served the whole thing again. Oh, nice. And what's what was your least favorite, Sarah? You can just put my jam out there. We all <laughs> needed the jam. <laughs> Do we agree that the jam um, was just the loser of the the jam? Yeah, the jam. The jam the was loser. not edible. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Okay. But another thing I I would say I dislike is every time these two come up with a beet recipe, <laughs> my heart sinks just a little bit because I'm not a fan. Okay, mm. Heather. What about you? What's been your favorite and least favorite of the podcast? I made babka. For the first time. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah. And we, yeah. we kind of, we remembered back to the Seinfeld episode where Jerry and Elaine were trying to decide which was the lesser babka, the chocolate or the cinnamon. So I made both. <laughs> and it, I don't think we came to a consensus. Honestly, we love them both. There's no lesser babka in this world. <laughs> All the babkas are the good babkas. Yeah. I was really, yeah. yeah, I love that. And I've made it again since, which is like... Mm-hmm. The mark of a good recipe is when you want to yeah. actually make it again. Yeah. Uh, with a different flavor. Tell her what you oh, made it oh, with this time. Oh, just for Easter, I made it. It was a cardamom bourbon chocolate filling. Oh, doesn't that sound amazing? And she it didn't was, share any with us. How'd you get bourbon into it? Did you just mix it in with the... In the dough? Filling. No, with the filling. It's, with the fill, it's like... Like, you know what you would do for a cinnamon bun? Like mm-hmm. butter, it's butter, cocoa, um, bourbon. Like Sugar. that's the mm-hmm. mix that goes in the middle. It was heavy on the bourbon. I have to say there were a few people <laughs> in my family who were like, whoa, I was a little, I liked it. <laughs> it was a little heavy. I would maybe tone that down a bit, but it was tasty for sure. Yum. Okay. And Erin, what about you? Do you have a favorite from the podcast? Um... Oh, I have so many favorites. Um, one of, for sure, my favorite though was cooking with my grandmother. So I, uh, I got to make a strudel with her, and she just, um, I spent the weekend with my mother and my grandmother, and she told us how to make this, and um, my mom did all the work, and I just sat back with my grandma and we chatted, and she explained about it. And then I brought the recipe home and said, okay, now I'm going to make this after hearing what she said and writing down the information. And that was a really fun 
episode and it was just really special because it was it was with my grandma right so mm-hmm. so that was fantastic and then I also really 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 loved early on Heather made something called Ban Seo ah, and it's yes. a Vietnamese yeah. crepe, crepe or pancake that has shrimp fried into it and oh and it had this great dip with it um Nok cham, which I think is with a lot of Vietnamese food yeah, dip, but right. I Heather made it for us. We got to sit in her kitchen while she cooked it up and we all ate together. So that was a great experience. Anyway, after we made it, it's all I thought about for like weeks. <laughs> and then I went and made it and my family was like, eh, I don't know, it's different. I ate, I don't know, six to 12 of these dang things that night. And then I had it the next day for breakfast and lunch. And like, because the recipe makes a lot, you have a lot of batter that you fry. So I just ate it constantly for like two days because I just could not get over how much I loved the flavor and the texture and the crisp and the, oh, it was it was like a whole new flavor for my mouth I had never had before. Okay, Julie, yeah. you're going to have to just cut us off because we could just talk yeah, about we, all the food. Don't ask for... what we like because it <laughs> is a rabbit hole. I can't help but notice that all of your most favorite ones are not only good food, but you're also going, and I was with my grandma and I sat with her or, and mm. we were sitting outside eating ice cream. Like it, that's always what it is, is the food is so much better when it's got that connection Mm. to someone like you said Sarah it's got a feeling you know and Mm -hmm. then for the rest of your life that recipe is just magic to you I Mm. love that that's our best the best part of it yeah and I think we hope that everybody else goes and you know try these things with a friend or with your family and make it fun make your memories make your memories it's it's not about just producing the food and eating the food and filling your stomach it's it's everything that goes into the before and the after and and the enjoyment of it, right? This episode is sponsored by Lover's Moon by Mark Leslie and Julie Strauss. Hello, Julie Strauss, host of Best Book Ever and contemporary romance author. Hello, Mark Leslie, frequent guest of the show and horror author. Julie, what do you know about werewolves? Absolutely nothing, Mark. I'm scared of everything. What do you know about romance novels? Well, my mom read a ton of romance when I was a kid, and Fabio was always on the cover, so Fabio must be in every romance novel, right? That's exactly right, yes. Mark, do you know what we should do? I do, yeah. Let's say it at the same time, okay? Okay. One, two, three, never speak again. Write a book together. Uh, Yes, that, what you said. We should write a book together. I was thinking we could each write about our favorite things. Yeah, bloody fangs. And making out. Occult shops. Having sex in a bubble bath. Ancient feuds. A marriage proposal in Central Park. A book made of human skin. And friendly honeybees. We've really got something here. You know, I don't see how it could fail. Lover's Moon by Mark Leslie and Julie Strauss is now available everywhere you buy books. Wait, Mark, what was that thing you said earlier? Don't worry about it. Well, so let's move on to the books that we chose. Erin, this one's yours, right? Yes, that's me. Okay, um, it's called Bas- uh, Back 
to Basics, and it's by Chef uh, Michael Smith. Uh, Julie, you said he was new to you. Yeah. And interestingly, I normally what I do for this podcast is I go through my local library. I always think has everything and I couldn't find it at the city library. I couldn't find it in our county system. So I actually had to order this online because I I don't think he's well known in America. I don't know. I assume he's not. He's he's a Canadian chef. And I think um, when we were talking about how much we loved Food Network, that's where I first met him. Was, okay. was, yeah. <laughs> she says I, that with I know hearts I'm, I'm in like, her eyes. I, <laughs> where I first met him. I love the way he cooks and I love, um, yeah, I just, he's a really, I don't know, down to earth, seems like a normal human being kind of guy. And I love what he says at the very beginning of the book because he says, this book is for anyone who likes to play in the kitchen. For all who realize that recipes are more than a destination, they're a journey. And I just, I'm, I'm going to be such a sap, but I just love that mm-hmm. idea. I love that it's just, it's about just having fun and expressing yourself and enjoying it and that it's all around, you know, food. What have you made from this that you're particularly fond of? So many things. <laughs> what haven't you? Is that, what is that the haven't better, better I? Um, one of my favorites on page 25 is a tomato basil quinoa salad. Mm. And I have made this for potlucks and everywhere and anywhere. I like bringing this um, to potlucks because it is gluten free. And we know a lot of um, people mm. who have celiac allergies. Um, it's vegetarian. It kind of, it can check off all the things for food sensitivities and it's just delicious. Mm, It looks so good. It is so crispy with the onions and the freshness in there. I love the fresh basil in there when I have basil growing. My family really loves, on page 73, um, the beef pot pie with the cheddar biscuit crust. Oh, that sounds delicious. So I make this... um, because my kids get really sensitive over the fact that when this, when you put the cheddar biscuits on top to bake them at the end, the bottom is a little bit soggy. They would die eating a soggy piece of bread. <laughs> it is lethal in case you're, in case you're wondering. I didn't know. Thank God you yeah. told me. Soggy bread can kill you. So okay. I usually just mix up this, uh, the cheddar biscuits and just roll it out, chop it into pieces and throw it in the oven in the last 30 minutes while it finishes. And it's like these delicious fresh biscuits that you're dipping into your, like this is comfort food all the way. And then my favorite recipe is the heritage bread that he has listed in here. Tell me what is so special about it. (laughs) She sighs. (sighs) Okay, however old this book is, I have been making this bread for my family every day since I got this and started making it. It is so easy to make. It's an overnight bread that you you mix it all up in the bowl the night before. It sits on your counter overnight in the morning. You punch it down, you put it in your pan, you bake it, and you have a fresh loaf of bread. My kids love this bread. I've modified and changed it for myself. Um, I make it with white flour and whole wheat flour. I add in flax seeds, hemp seeds, millet. And like right now I have some extra cornmeal 
And so I just put a tablespoon of that in and it is so, so delicious. It is a really hearty, moist bread. I never feel bad when my kids are like, can I have Nutella toast or peanut butter toast or whatever? Because I'm like, sure, put some stuff on there. You're eating like a really good filling, yummy bread. Okay. What I have to ask you is, okay, holy hell, what is a brown butter tart? Can you guys see that? Oh, yes. I I want to know too. Is that different than a butter tart? Okay. What's a butter tart? Oh, Oh, see, oh. this is where <laughs> where Canada comes in. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm going to have to default. Heather, you make butter tarts, correct? Oh, it's a Christmas staple. Wow. I don't think mine look that good. <laughs> Let's just say. But a butter tart is basically a sugar tart. It's essentially brown sugar and butter. There are debates, serious debates about whether or not you put in raisins. Some people love them. Some people will not. Like Sarah is like, no raisins. I personally love raisins in my butter tarts, but I would not turn it down if you make it without. I don't know. What is Michael Schiff? Pecans. Nuts too. Mm. Yeah. Heather, so you chose, will you tell us about the book that you chose? Sure. Now, I, I should probably begin by saying I don't use cookbooks a lot. But this is one that uh, that I um, picked up many years ago, and it's it looks like I've been using it, right? When we, my husband and I were first married, we um, ate a paleo diet for um, a few years. This is called Well-Fed Paleo Recipes for People Who Love to Eat by Melissa Juwan. And if you don't know, paleo is just no grain, sugar, legumes, or dairy which sounds like the saddest thing in the world. So no butter tarts <laughs> is what you're telling me. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. Um, Forget that shit. Now that I know what butter tarts are. <laughs> yeah. But I will just quantify this as saying we were not hardcore paleo people. We, we were very much like, it's kind of like the way us ladies do CrossFit, which is CrossFit-ish, CrossFit light. light. We were kind light. of paleo when it suited us, like probably 80% of the time. Uh-huh. I mean, there's also no alcohol in a paleo diet. So, you know. What is that? Is this so obviously. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. And my, you know, I don't know that it's necessarily, pa- like when, it, when you hear paleo, you think like, oh, it's what cavemen ate or whatever, right? Yeah. And I always said, well, if they'd had wheat, they would have made bread too. They just didn't have it. They would have drank the beer if yeah. they could have made it. But well, anyways. they were fermenting something and drinking it. Let's see. <laughs> yeah. well, or eating the mushrooms or licking right. the frogs. You know that they were <laughs> something. <laughs> um, okay. Well, I, but I did really like this book because at the time, what when we kind of, like what we did was basically, meat and vegetables. Mm-hmm. Um, and it gets tiring after a while. It's like the same old, same old. So this book appealed to me because it has a lot of other flavors. There's influences from all over the world. There's really great spice in some of that basic, still a basic diet, um, but it's just leveled up. Like it's yeah. more interesting. So if you follow a paleo diet and you're bored, here's your book. 
I have to say what I absolutely loved about this book is the sections after almost every recipe that says, you know how you could do that. Yeah. And she takes like, for example, this one that I have flagged a chicken paillard, which is basically just a pounded and shallow fried chicken breast. And then the next two pages are how to make it Greek, how to make it pesto cucumber pineapple salsa mushroom pancetta jam so it's like all these different ways i love that because then you've got mm-hmm. the technique and then you do what you want with it phenomenal yeah exactly you make it your own or you make it different every time you make it like you've got four different ways to make it so you're not making it the same every time yeah and you're not getting as bored that's the whole thing you get tired of this kind of diet right Mm-hmm. And you yeah, have to get creative because there's so many limits to it. Yeah. The yeah. other thing I flagged was the, the tuna salad section. Speaking of terrible oh. lunches, <laughs> she's got this whole section of different ways to make tuna salad. Curry, Asian cashew, Vietnamese, Italian. I mean, come on. That's just, that's so great. Tuna's so boring. And this, these <laughs> all look so good. I think you and I may have, do we have slightly different versions? There it were two like of them. It. Yeah. You've got the second one. weeknights this is the first one that's okay it's the same format but you might have slightly different recipes okay there are a couple things in here that I still go back to even though we don't eat this once we had kids it was really hard not to have snacky Mm -hmm. things not to have muffins and granola bars and like the things that little kids um constantly have in their hand and once it's in our house forget it we're eating it right so we kind of abandoned (laughs) We, we stuck with it for a while and was like, it's too hard. It's too much work. I'm not making different food for everybody. So, right. um, but there are still things in here that I, that I refer back to. Um, one is a spice mix called Raz, uh, Raz El Ahanout, which is a North African um, spice blend. It's like cumin, ginger, pepper, cinnamon, coriander, cayenne, allspice, cloves, nutmeg. And you can mix this up. In whatever kind of ratios that you like. Mm -hmm. And it's good on everything. And that's the kind of thing you need if you're kind of doing a basic diet, right? Um, Another one that I have marked that we still make, my husband made this last night. He's a firefighter and he had to make dinner at work because he lost the hockey pool. (laughs) And um, and, uh, so I did this in advance for him where you brine chicken breast and then put a spice rub on it before you grill it. And it's a really good, just like really good technique. It's actually called the best chicken you will ever eat. And it just takes that chicken breast, which tends to be kind of plain and dry sometimes. Mm-hmm. And it's a technique that puts more moisture into it. And the spice mm. rub, it's a different spice rub. It's also really great. Yeah. And in the, you know how you could do that section, she says, put it on chicken thighs or pork chops and bake it in the oven. If you don't have a barbecue, you can bake it. And then she's got the little Mm. section that says it tastes great with, and there's different um, recipes from within the book that go well with the chicken, like Middle Eastern cucumbers, baba ganoush, um, orange salad, like, you know, so it makes it simple if you don't know what to have with it. This is totally a cookbook I would pick up and I would recommend picking up even if you are not paleo because mm-hmm. it, they look so good. And then you just serve it with your bread or your rice or whatever else yeah. you're eating yeah. that paleo people don't necessarily eat. But the, mm-hmm. the salads look so mm. good in this book. 
And there's dips and mm-hmm. sauces. Oh, there's, <laughs> I got to make this for Sarah. I've never made this one, but there's a Sri Lankan curry sauce. And I'm like, mm, mm. I'm going to make that for Sarah yes. and see how authentic it actually Let's is. See it. <laughs> yeah. I just love that she uses so many spices in this. Yeah. I think you have loaned me that book before. And yeah, it was very interesting. All from all over the world. Yeah. Love it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So Sarah, one. tell us about your book. <laughs> <laughs> so the the book I picked, this is one of the ones that I go to, especially in the summer. Mm. And it's Roy Choi's LA Sun. So I met Roy Choi, <laughs> much like Aaron met Michael Smith <laughs> on Food Network. I met Roy Choi on, a, an, a, like, you have to watch the show. It's called uh, The Chef Show on Netflix. Mm. And he's on it with John Favreau. Is, am I saying mm-hmm. his last name correctly? Um, and, and it was quite interesting because I'm watching, I know who John Favreau is. I didn't know who Roy Choi was at that point. And I'm watching these two sort of, uh, cook together. And the reason they know each other is because Roy Choi taught John Favreau how to cook for a movie that he was doing. He was playing a chef. And I'm watching these two cook together and I go, you know, that's really cool that John Favreau is really intense and like right there, but that is not the kind of style of cooking or cook I am. Mm-hmm. And I was watching him cook and I'm like, he's so chill. And he's so like, he, he's not in the limelight. He's just sort of in the background doing things. And I'm like, that is me. That's the kind of like, I don't like to be stressed in my kitchen. So I picked up his cookbook just because I was hoping. And I, from what I had gathered from the show that he had, would have some Korean recipes in this. Um, and he did. Um, uh, and it's my favorite cuisine. But then I read his bio and that's when I, I like, really, I love this book for the story about him yeah. more than the recipes. The recipes are amazing, but the story is very fascinating. And I don't know if you had a chance to read it, Julie. I did. And it's much more of a, uh, almost a, much more of an autobiography, I think, than the other two. It is. And I, I just, I, I'm just very amazed. And after I read the book, I started following him more. I watched Broken Bread um, and he just came up with the second season, I think end of last year. Um, it, it just amazes me. And if you guys have a chance to pick up the book and read it, the past that he came from, it, it doesn't make any sense that he turned out to be the person he is because he, de- he just doesn't get out of his past. He leaves the chips on his shoulders like there are none. And he just starts to, to help the same community that he came from and he hurt from. And it's amazing. Like I, I, I'm quite taken by the story. This guy also can write. Yes. And yeah. in particular, who would think <clears throat> that his tale of the first time he did crack mm-hmm. would be so gripping. But I read this sentence 10 times and then I flagged it because I had to tell you guys about it. He taught me how to take the first hit back straight, flame to rock, quick puff, chest expanded. It tasted like all the things in the closet of my life. If the skeletons in there had been made of saltwater taffy. Like I read that sentence mm. and went, do I want to try crack? 
Oh, no, Julie. <laughs> no. He is so smart. And when, when I first got this book, I remember when I opened it and I started reading it on the couch and then I quickly made lunch and I went outside and I sat on my patio and I finished the book. It was, you just couldn't look away. And I gave it to my husband and he did the same thing the next day because my husband and he are very similar in age. And so they have a lot of favorite icons and and language that are very similar. And, and uh, it, it's the story you have to read. It is a story you have to, you would really be taken by the story. Yeah, it's a great one. So tell me your favorite, the, the recipes just, I mean, God, you just want to cook every single thing in here, but tell me your favorite. Mm-hmm. So just with one thing about the recipes is this is not a, in my opinion, a Korean cookbook. This is what I would call an American cookbook. He is a trained chef, right? So you've got recipes from all like all around, all over, all the influences that America can boast of, right? But my go-to, and I'm telling you, when I say this is simple, it is simple. These two ladies have made it, so they can actually vouch for me, is salsa verde, which... Mm. Oh, I did. I flagged that one. Yeah. Uh, You know, really an amazing thing. If you don't have one or two of these ingredients in your fridge or you can't find it don't worry about it it's still amazing Mm. it's a really good recipe so you just use it as a generic condiment or do you use it in a specific recipe um with chips with Mm. tacos um and again put it on your carnitas when you make those julie yeah Mm. that'd be so good Mm -hmm. oh you're right Erin. drink it with a spoon (laughs) and the other one that i had i just i I don't really put tabs on my cookbooks. I just kind of open it and then it goes to that page because that's what I've been using a lot. Or or I know it's a popular one because I've got sauces splashed on the pages. Was um, I We went camping, our very first camping trip, and I made his galbi plate. And I love eating Korean barbecue. Those for me are like five hour nights outside in the summer. And I decided to marinate this and I brought it to the camping yeah, for a camping dinner. And we had his Korean barbecue outside. Mm-hmm. It was a beautiful day again. And we ate and we ate and we ate. And it was so good. Cam- camping is not what I thought it was at all. <laughs> <laughs> you got to camp with us. I, oh my God, clearly. <laughs> There's no hot dogs. That's the right. most important part. Yes, we'll sleep obviously. in on wherever, whatever. <laughs> we have to have good food. So when I was on, lucky enough to be on your podcast last week, you ended with um, a speed round and I want to do that. One of the questions for you three, what would your final meal be? And we were talking about this book that I have called my last supper, 50 great chefs and their final meals, portraits, interviews, and recipes. And it is a supremely fun book. And there's kind of a badass picture of each of the chefs. And mm-hmm. Sometimes they're just posing, but sometimes they're being wacky or whatever. I, there's a picture of Anthony Bourdain naked in here. By the oh. Way. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Okay. Yes. Now I got to find hmm. it. Um, yeah, yes, now I have to see. Yeah. You just shocked me with that. <laughs> Sorry. 
Look at that. <laughs> what is he holding? It's like a what is that? bone Meat? of some animal. A bone. <laughs> Oh my god! Of course it is. It doesn't say what it is, but it looks like a I don't know, like a cow thigh bone or something. Yeah, he was such a character. Oh man, he is. Yeah, yeah, he was. But so yeah. then they each go through and they say like the the questions are the same for everybody. What would be your last meal on Earth? What would be the setting? What would you drink? Would there be music? Who would be your companions? And some of the oh. chefs say. I literally want tacos and margaritas with my wife on a beach. And some of them, like Mario Batali's is like 10 pages long. I want this vintage <laughs> wine with this exact truffle and this pasta. Like, so it's, it's a really fun read. So I would love to hear from mm-hmm. each of you. Tell me about your final meal. Okay. I think I would have um, my husband's burgers. My husband makes the best burger patty that I think anyone could ever make. If if there was a burger competition, I'm pretty sure. Like we've mm. all, we've mm. both agreed that he should enter it because he makes the best mm. burgers. Is there a magic ingredient? Does he do anything besides beef or he just really um, loves? Um, love. <laughs> lots of love. Um, it's beef, onions, eggs. Uh, there's no sauce. There's no salt, no pepper, nothing special in there. It's just, I don't know what he makes and how he cooks it. It is the juiciest, tastiest, it like melts off the bun, so good burger. Mm. And sometimes we fry, I think I'd have the fried Mm. pineapple on there, the grilled pineapple on there, because I really love that grilled pineapple on the burger. And Mm. I would want to be eating it... In, in Argentina is, is my <laughs> nice <laughs> because the meat and the cheese and the everything there is so delicious. And what would you be drinking with your Argentine burger meal? Uh, you know, I'm not much of a drinker, but I would probably, it's your last night. I would, <laughs> yeah, like what are you oh, worried I about? Guess, you won't right? feel the, the effects yeah. of it later. That's okay. Yeah. That's that's okay. Um, mm. I, I'd probably just have some a good beer with it because I Perfect love with the a, burger. a beer and a burger. So, mm. mm-hmm. okay, Sarah, what about you? Um, so, how I answered last time, I then realized that we could travel for this. <laughs> so, I'm changing my answer. I think you know what? Just talking about this book, and I used to live in Korea for many years. I would just go back there. I would eat all the food there because it was so chill. I would drink myself silly <laughs> and I would be around friends. Nice. And, um, and Sarah is really cares? silly when she drinks. <laughs> Lots of accents <laughs> come out. <laughs> Excellent. Okay, Heather, what about you? Uh, okay, I have to say sushi because it's one of my absolute favorite things and it's not something I make at home. Mm-hmm. or even really have any interest in. I took a sushi rolling class one time. It was really fun, but it's not. I'm not going to make it at home. But I love all the sushi. I love all the fancy rolls and all the really the way some sushi chefs get really creative with it. Mm-hmm. And they put in all the things and all the toppings and the sauces and the spices. I love all the stuff. Once mm-hmm. I once was in Mexico where they put cheese uh, in sushi, which was really weird. <laughs> we were like... Is this like a Mexican thing? I have no idea. But even that, I loved. I didn't even. I didn't even really care. Yeah, it was yeah. good because 
it was good. And I wouldn't request it or anything, but it was, I didn't think I would like it, but it was good. Listen, I want to have all three of you back on to talk about non-cookbook books. Um, oh, yes, until then, um, I always end this by asking my guests what they're reading right now. So would you mind going through and telling me like what, what is on your bookshelves right now? Because I would love to hear. Let me go first because I can't remember the name of the book, <laughs> but it's, it's so Mary Westmacott. I had recently, I think it was two years ago during isolation, bought the whole series of Mary Westmacott books, who is Agatha Christie. Oh, you guys know, oh. but it's not a mystery, but it was a different kind of book. It was more about human nature. Um, but if I can recommend one of them, it's absent in spring. It's a, such a beautiful book. Hmm. How did you, I've never even heard of these. How did you discover them? They're really hard to get now because I don't think that they were as popular as their Agatha Christie books mm -hmm. her murder mysteries, but I found them at a, some sort of secondhand online book thing. And they had the whole series and I'm like, Hey, just bring it over. Cause I've read every single one of her books. Okay. Heather, mm -hmm. what about you? Oh, I just, I love a good historical fiction. And I just finished one called The Orphan Collector by Ellen Marie Wiseman. Have you read this one? No. What's this about? It's set in Philadelphia, just at the, I think it's 1918, at the end of World War I, <clears throat> and the Spanish flu pandemic hits. So there are a lot of really eerie <laughs> similar similarities when you look at the pandemic and the COVID pandemic, so Spanish flu, mm. COVID, in many ways, people do not evolve. People are. <laughs> oh, boy. <laughs> people oh, no. are, we're just doomed to repeat our history. If it's war, uh -huh. if it's a virus, if it's um, prejudice, and we want to blame, got to blame somebody. Just like we've seen Asian hate in relation to COVID. At that time, it was German hate. And, oh, it's a Spanish flu. We must hate all immigrants because the flu came from somewhere else and people mm -hmm. were dropping like flies. Um, it's just, uh, I mean, aside from all of that, there's some really lovable characters and some really hateable characters, which I love because, you know, you know it's, I like having a villain. Yeah. Even when it's a story that's not really about um, a fight or whatever, it's just... Um, yeah, it's an it's interesting slice of that little bit of history. Oh, that one sounds yeah. good. Okay. Mm -hmm. All right, Erin. Hit me. Okay. Um, one of the books that I just most recently finished that I thought was really interesting uh, was called The Lost Boys by Gina Perry. Uh, there was some experiments that were conducted, social experiments that were conducted on groups of young children. Um around cold around the uh 60s late 50s early 60s cold war kind of times um in terms of how to create division within a group and then how to create the group dynamic to come back together and um i can't remember the name of the scientist who conducted these experiments but he uh <laughs> quite looked up to William Golding, who wrote Lord of the Flies and did some experiments on boys. Mm. Um, and so many of the boys who participated in these experiments that he conducted at summer camps mm. uh, didn't even know that they were part of his experiments. So his papers after he died and all of his notes became available. And this author came across them 
and get like every single note that the people he had um, running these summer camps and everything. And she kind of constructs what happens at them and the reports that were written and the papers that he then published afterwards. And she looks into all this and it's really interesting. These fairly unethical experiments that happen with these boys, right? Because first they brought them together as a group and made them bond. And then they started pitting them against each other Mm. and doing things. And it was really interesting how um, a lot of the stuff failed because the boys wanted to see their friends and wanted to stick up for their friends. But then in the second half of the book, um, she goes into the why she thinks that he conducted these experiments based on the life that he had growing up. So he grew up in Turkey in and around the fall of the Ottoman Empire and all this kind of stuff happening and all these crazy things that he would have experienced in his life and how that was reflected in the way that he conducted himself and the experiments and the things that drew him in. It was really interesting psychological breakdown on on that and then some Turkish history that I didn't really know. And Okay, that was a really... <laughs> Interesting blend of answers to that question. I cannot wait to have all of you back on to talk about your book choices. All right, ladies, will you please share with my listeners where they can find your wonderful podcast? We are um, we are on all the podcatchers, as they call them. That's kind of a new word to me. Uh, wherever you listen to your podcasts, we are Three Kitchens Podcasts, and we are on Instagram, Facebook, Pinterest, YouTube. And we release every Tuesday. Every Tuesday, uh, we have a new recipe. We have interesting guests like Julie who are sharing recipes with us. Mm-hmm. We have one coming up. Actually, I think it will have gone out already by this time with uh, where we're talking to the fire department about how they cook at the fire hall. And oh, we've talked so to cool. a farmer about producing food for people. Like we, we're mm-hmm. just um, mm-hmm. we're having some fun with it. And we hope people will tune in and check it out. it is a blast i love your podcast i love you three i think it's i'm so delighted that i found you and i want to thank you for joining me this has really been so fun and i'm starving we all are (laughs) thank you so much julie this was so much fun so much fun (laughs) thank you julie thank you so much julie and we love this Mm -hmm. podcast too it is ah thank you it's so fun to be on it with you can't wait to come back If you enjoyed this episode, please make sure you subscribe to the Three Kitchens podcast for a weekly dose of Sarah, Erin, and Heather. I got to join them on episode 36, and I had a blast sharing my family's favorite recipe with them and cooking one of Sarah's supposedly simple recipes. Spoiler alert, it was not simple, but it was delicious, and we had a lot of fun talking about it. So now I would love to hear about your favorite cookbook. And what about that last meal question? Have you ever thought about that? Tell me all about it over on Instagram at Best Book Ever Podcast. Remember, you can find links to all the books we discussed in the show notes or at my website, bestbookeverpodcast.com. And if you have a book you want to tell me about, click on the Be a Guest button on my website or Instagram bio so we can chat. Thank you for joining me today, and I will see you at the library. 
Wait, the ice cream goes in the Clamato juice? Oh, no, 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 no. Just what that the was hell is side. going on in Canada? Okay. <laughs> <laughs> no, you put vodka in the Clamato juice. That's so, actually yeah. yes. Gotcha. So you were having we your- have cocktails and ice cream. Got it. Separate. Sorry. Separate. Not like okay. at the same time. Now no. it sounds good. Well, kind of at the same time. Um, I was trying to be very open-minded. 